God's word. We have been working on that for weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. You follow as I read. Here we go. Did you notice that you could hear me even without the microphone? Did you know? It comes free of charge. Here we go. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believed and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that we are seen, that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up my life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Years ago, back when I was uh, in a doctoral program, there was a course that we had to take. It was a required course. And um, um, it was taught by a man that I didn't know. And so on the first day of class, uh, I did something <clears throat> that I'm still embarrassed about. I'm, I'm really, I mean, I really did this, and I'm still ashamed that I did do it, but I did do it. Um, uh, I was sitting there as a student in the class. I didn't know the professor, and, and um, he started his, his first lecture, and I said, uh, I mean, you know, being the twit that I am, 
I said, um, I raised my hand, you know, interrupting his first lecture, and I said, um, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get going here? Oh, it's, uh, I've run into that man a couple of times since then, uh, in various places and meetings around the country, and, and I've apologized to him every time I've seen him, and he just laughs. He, he really didn't know what a twit I am. But, uh, you do, uh, at least now. Uh, but, um, his name was Dr. Ralph Davis. And he's a dear, godly guy and an Old Testament scholar. He's written a couple of books and, and I have them both. In fact, one of the books, uh, that he wrote I used in a series years ago on the book of Judges. But, but I love this course. Um, uh, I still have the notes to that course. I took this in 1982. That was 26 years ago, and, and I still, by the way, I don't have the notes of any other course I took, but I had his. I had these notes that I took in that class. Loved the course. Loved it. Um, now, in that course that was entitled A Theology of Ministry, he drew primarily from 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians. And his, and his particular focus was on chapters 3, 4, and 5. Um, over the years, I, I have gone back to these notes and I've, I've gotten out these notes and I've looked at them again and again and, and, um, and I've come to a conclusion and the conclusion I came to is that he really didn't teach me a theology of ministry. What he taught me was a, a theology of life. Now that's a real churchy statement, isn't it? A theology of life. I mean, when's the last time you, um, you sat down with your wife and you discussed a theology of life? I mean, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, Dr. Young. I mean, you, you need to give us some, you need to give us something that we can really sink our teeth into. You're right. And I'm going to. Ice tea. A, a, a southern favorite. You know, I don't, I don't like sweet tea. Do you? <laughs> I mean, when you put the, when you put the sugar in there and it's brewing, it, it just, it just seems to get too sweet to me. Um, but I do like my, 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 uh, my tea sweet. So being the fat guy that I am, I, I normally use, um, artificial sweeteners. Except when I've got that granulated brown stuff. Oh, I like that. And so, and I, I really, um, I, I, I like to do that. But there's a problem with that stuff. You know, that granulated brown stuff? It just, it just sinks to the bottom. And, it, and if you're going to get the benefit of that, of that sugar, I mean, if it's going to influence the whole of the rest of the glass of iced tea, you're going to have to stir it up a bit. You know, and, you know, midway through the meal, you're going to have to stir it up some more. Because if you're, if you're going to get the, the, the benefit of this, you're going to have to stir and keep stirring if you want to enjoy all the sweetness that that's supposed to give you. Now, gang, what, the, the purpose of this foolishness is, is, uh, to say to you something like this. 
There's a lot of us who are missing out on a whole lot of sweetness of, uh, in life. Um, you know, life isn't as sweet for us as, as it ought to be. And um, what Paul, I think, is doing in this passage and in this section of Scripture that I, that I showed you is that he is uh, trying to give his audience, his readers, these Christians in Corinth, he's trying to give them the benefit of everything that they hold dear. What he's trying to do is, is, is kind of stir up from the bottom um, th- that which would influence the rest of their lives. And, and that's what I want to do with you this morning, guys. I want to I want to show you things that are that are that are held dear by most of us in this room, and yet for some reason we are not getting the benefit of the things that we believe. We're, we're the, the life is not as sweet as it ought to be for us, and so there 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 is some stirring required. But a specific brand of stirring, a, a specific kind of stirring. And that's what I want to show you this morning. And I, and I think that's what is going on in this passage. Stay with me. Back to Dr. Davis just for a second. Um, you, you know, the reason that he brought us to this section of Scripture is because of something that's really found in chapter 3. It is, um, it's in verse 5 when, when Paul says, He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. You see that it's in, it's in uh, chapter 3, verse 6. I didn't read that part. But um, Paul is introducing a, a, a new ministry. Paul is the, is the first in a new breed of minister and ministry. It's called a minister of a new covenant. And the distinctive mark of the ministry of the new covenant is that it's done in the Spirit, it's done by the Spirit, it's done through the Spirit. And by the way, I, I hope you have one of those ministers ministering to you. I, I hope you're privileged to have one of those kind of guys ministering to you. But we're not going to talk about that today. What we're going to talk about is this guy. This minister of the new covenant and, and how he deals with the people that were under his care. You know, guys, everybody knows that, that Paul was a great theologian. Uh, and, and there's a whole lot of theological stuff in just this, in this section. Um, for instance, in 317, the Lord is the Spirit. I mean, you're, you've got the deity of the Spirit in that text. Then you, then you drop down to four, chapter, th- uh, chapter four, verse three, uh, and he mentions, in three and four, he mentions that the God of this world is, I mean, the introduction of Satan there. And then in 510, we did read this, he mentions the judgment seat of Christ. And then in 517, he talks about the new creation in Christ. And then perhaps the, the apex of it all is 521, where he says, uh, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be, have become the righteousness. Guys, there's a lot of theological stuff crammed into this passage. Yes. But that's not the thing that I think this is about. That's not the thing that stands out to me. And with apologies to Dr. Davis, the the thing that stands out about this section of Scripture is not that Paul was a great theologian. The thing that stands out to me is that he was a great pastor. A a, a man who just had no peer as being a pastor of God's people. 
Gang, um, in, in my opinion, um, it is not theological expertise that is on display here. What is on display is a pastor's concern for his people. That's what pastors do. That's what at least they're supposed to do. They're supposed to, they're supposed to know their people and ache for their people and, and, um, understand their spiritual challenges and their spiritual condition and, and, and he saw in these people in Corinth that life just wasn't as sweet as it ought to be. There were things that they, they said they were convinced of. And yet, for whatever reason, life just wasn't as sweet as it was supposed to be. And, and I want you to see where I am coming from. Look with me at 4-1. Having this ministry, we do not lose Heart. 4.16, we do not lose heart. 5.6, he says, um, we always are of good courage. Uh, 5.8, yes, we are of good courage. Gang, what do you think is on the mind of the Apostle Paul here? We don't lose heart. We are of good courage. Don't give up. What do you think is on the mind of this, this guy? Do you think he's concerned that the Corinthian Christians be theologically astute? That they know all of the intricacies of theological debate? I don't. I think he wants them to make it. I, I think he wants them to survive, to cope, to even, even to, to excel. In, in, in the midst of a life that is full of difficulty and complexity and challenge and all that, there is um, there is on display here a pastor who loved these people and wanted for those people that life be sweeter than it is. He understands, by the way, I'm going to show you, that, that the most inevitable... That suffering is the most inevitable part of our lives. Suffering and affliction. He, he looks at these, look at what he says, guys. Look at, um, four, seven. For we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of, what in the world is a jar? Well, well, he's referring to, uh, to life, to this body. It's fragile. It's brittle. Uh, just like the Plavix commercial said it is. You're no match for a dangerous clot. No, you're not. You're not, you know, a clot no bigger than my fingernail and you're toast. But look, look what he says in, in, in 4.8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Look at 4.12. So death is at work in us. 4.17. This slight momentary affliction. Look at 5.4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Do you get it? Do you see what this pastor Paul is up to? He says, I know you groan. I know they're afflicted. I know this. I know that, that there's this momentary slight of afflictions. Yes, yes, yes. But we don't lose heart. We don't lose courage. Oh, I know you groan. Yes, sir. You groan all right. And what Paul is doing in this section of Scripture is trying to help. He's trying to help a group of Christians who, whose life is just not as sweet as it ought to be. Kind of like mine. <laughs> there are things that, that I, um, that I say I'm committed to and that I say that I'm, that are a part of me. But if they were, um, I 
think, I think it would be sweeter. So, guys, I hope you see that all I'm trying to say at this first point is, this is a pastor dealing with people, and he's saying, I know what you face. I know how hard life can get for you. I, I, I do. I, I feel your pain. And I know discouragement arises when I'm per- persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I know what Satan can do to you. I know what kind of discourage, what his favorite tool is. And, and my concern for these Corinthian Christians is that there's really not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of courage that I see, and there's not a whole lot of joy that I see. Not, no zest, no confidence, no... They're, it just ain't very sweet for them. And so what I think you're finding in this section, or what I want you to find in this section, is Paul um, not offering you a theology of ministry, but offering you a theology of life. And it's going to require some stirring up, guys. It's um, There's going to have to be some reminders, some thinking through, some things that we know. And that's what I want to do. I simply want to remind you of some things that you know in the hope that, in the midst of all this, life is sweeter. How, how does a Christian live a life that has more joy, more courage, more sweetness to it. Well, that's what Paul is telling you here. Don't lose courage. Be of good cheer. Don't lose heart. Because when you do, everything spiritual suffers. So stir up some of that sweetness from the bottom of the glass. And, and, and might it influence all of you. Now, you want to see him do that? Let me show you how he, how he begins. Chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the first piece of stirring. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Gang, do you understand? That's some flowery language. Yes, it is. But do you see what Paul is doing in the, in the, in the, in his effort to try and encourage God's people? He says, we know, let let me, let me kind of translate it for you. He says, we know that if we die, we know that if we die, and then he does two things in this past, in this verse, ladies and gentlemen, look at them. First of all, there is the very clear um, statement about there is a resurrection when we die. Um, if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So in the face of life's biggest bugaboo, death... Paul strides into that subject and says, okay, we know that if this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, he calls the body a tent. When this tent is destroyed, 
we have. <laughs> Don't forget that. When, 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 when you forget that, it's like the sugar sinking to the bottom. It doesn't do you a bit of good. Life is not as sweet. We know that we have, yeah, we got a tent here. And by the way, the whole image of a tent, that is temporary housing, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's intended to be temporary. Those things are brittle. They get blown about. And boy, you know, the, the older this tent gets, the more brittle it gets. And, and, I mean, it gets more and more creases to it. More and more inefficiencies. Like digestion. Um, there's, there's, there's more inconveniences like, like migraines and back pain and heart attacks. Gang, this thing is intended to be temporary. It's a tent. It's nothing more than that. It's a tent. And he says, when this tent is removed, when this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed. Stop right there. That's as far as most Christians get. No! I don't want my tent to be destroyed. I know it's got aches and pains, but I don't want to give it up yet. Yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of back creases, heart attacks, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm in no hurry to give up this tent yet. Um, that if the tent be destroyed, and from there we go to some kind of, oh, Dang. That's not where Paul stops, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what he's doing for these people. And what I want to do for you is stir you up. Notice, we have. We know we have. When this thing is gone, we know we have. Not will have, might have, not purgatory. We know that we have a building from God not made with hands. Do you know that? You know what? I, I bet you that you did. I bet you walked in here this morning knowing that. But for whatever reason, it's sitting down here not doing you a bit of good. It's, it's just not as sweet as it ought to be. Because this requires a bit of stirring. Gang, what we are being told in chapter 5 verse 1 is that when we lose a tent... We gain a mansion. That's a piece of stirring. That's one of Paul's directives to sweetness. He's reminding of something that we know. Gang, you, you, you look at this passage from kind of a panoramic view and you see... Oh my, the afflictions and the persecutions and pressed down but not forsaken, body of death, momentary light affliction. And then add on top of that, death, which is at the center, well not at the center, but it's, it's one of the issues that he mentions here. And it all adds up. And you know what it does? 
it tends to suck everything out of the whatever vitality there is to my soul. And so I end up spending my life chasing after amusements and recreation and grabbing the gusto. And, and my soul is just ill. It's just sick. There's, nothing, there's no vitality to it. There's no, there's no courage in it. Because these things have dragged us dragged us to a place where life has gone off in another direction and and there's not a whole lot of sweetness to it. Tell me, on a scale of one to ten, what do you think about yours? Huh? I mean, I'm not looking for an answer, but just just what, what, what in terms of being of good heart and good courage and 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 life has gotten in spiritually, scale of one to ten, how you doing? No, 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 no. This is the stuff that weighs us down. And the more migraines I have, the more I I get weighed down. The more back pain I get, the more creases that I see, the more inefficiencies in my, mm, you know, all over. And then, there's this prospect of death. Gang, um, I want to show you something in this text. I, I know you might think this a tad sick. But I'm just telling you, this is what the Apostle Paul, this thing that so frightens us. You know, I see the prospect of this thing coming on. And I know of what that might do. And this thing that this specter that drains us of any kind of spiritual vitality. I want you to, I just want you to look at what Paul says about it. Notice with me. Look first at um, chapter 5 verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. That's what I'm saying. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. Listen to this. So that what is mortal, you know what that is. What is mortal may be swallowed up by what? By life. Keep reading with me down to verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather, rather, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Tell me, tell me, would you say that? I would rather... Mm. Gang, there's there's some stirring up that needs to go on. It seems. Paul views that his view, his perspective is that his real home is with Christ. That's what it says. You know, um, if you've ever been to India, it's a it's a very stirring thing that you get to see and experience it. it you know, people of Ben will tell you that. Uh, really, on, on a lot of places in the world that you can go and do missions trips. But, uh, you know, about, you're gonna, if you're gonna be there for 10 days, about week seven, you th- start thinking, oh boy, <laughs> I can't wait to get home. 
because my real home is uh, over there. You know, home, sweet home. Ladies and gentlemen, if I read this right, and I think I am, for Paul's sweet home, home, sweet home, was not in this thing. But being in this thing, there are all kinds of challenges to suck every piece of vitality out of my soul. And so he comes to a group of people and he says, listen, listen to me, listen to me. Would you listen to me? We know that when this tent gets taken away, we have another dwelling in the heavens, not made by hands, but made by God. Taste a little bit of that. Can you imagine what that perspective would do for for your behavior? That is the way that you live out your life. Look at what what he says about his in verse 9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. No, my. What? Gang, yes, when you got a perspective like that, when you look at this life from an eternal um, uh, vantage point... Then you might be able to say something, whatever, whether I'm there, whether I'm there, my whole desire is to please him. Just please him. But there's not a whole lot of that that we can say, including me. I mean, I mean, I'm, I said we. Because we don't have that perspective. And, and I'm, I'm here to say to you guys, the way to get that sweetness is to adopt that perspective. <laughs> to remind yourself, speaking to your soul about things that we know. We know that if this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, what do you know? What do you believe about that? Now, guys, one more thing and I'm done. Paul is very, very confident about this resurrected life that that he that awaits him. He's very confident of that. But how? How for heaven's sakes, how did he get there? Yes, I, you know, I, I, I want to be as confident as Paul is. How did he get there? Well, let, let me suggest two things, and then I'll show you I think what I think is the real thing. But um first of all, he mentions in verse seven of chapter five, we walk by faith, not by sight. That is the Christian does walk by faith, not by sight, and it's a faith that's been built into him by the Holy Spirit of God, and that's mentioned in verse 5. That God has given us the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee. That's part of it. His confidence is derived from the fact that he has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. An- another suggestion I would make is this. How do my children, how do my children know that if they are ever homeless, they can come live with me? God forbid. But um, if they are homeless, they can come live with me. How do they know that? Did they read it in a book? Did some teacher teach them that at school? Or is it some ways instinctual that I know my daddy loves me and that I would always, if I don't have this one, he'll give me another one. But those are just suggestions, ladies and gentlemen. But here is the... The root cause of Paul's confidence. Here it is. It's right in the text. In fact, it's the center of his argument. It's the pivot around which everything else turns. 
Look at it. Chapter 4, verse 14. And there's that word knowing again. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. It's in chapter 5, verse 15 as well. Um, He says in verse 14, because we have concluded, there's that whole knowing again, we have concluded, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you understand what I'm saying, guys? Here's how, here's, here's how, here's how the apostle Paul directs us to sweetness. here's, Here's how it goes. I know of a resurrected life that awaits me. And I know that because of the historical event known as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My confidence about my own resurrection is a derivative of my confidence in his resurrection. The most attested to fact in all of ancient history. I am confident that when this tent goes, there's another earthly dwelling that awaits me. And that confidence traces its source back to the literal, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So in response to that event, Paul goes from there and says, one awaits me too. And consequently, my real home is with him. What he does, ladies and gentlemen, in four words, he eavesdrops on eternity. I guess that's three words. And that's what I'm asking you to do. To view this life through the perspective and vantage point of an eternity. An eternity that is made secure because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm hoping that that will make life a bit sweeter. All I'm here to do is to stir up some things from the bottom of your soul so that this one takes on more sweetness than it's got now. And it seems that the way that Paul did that is to remind himself over and over again of things that he knew. I'm here to remind you of those things. I'm here to tell you that no life is so sweet as the one that has that is ready, is prepared to face death based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To me, that's a theology of life. A life that is worth living. Let's pray. Our Father, I I do pray that you would remind your people of things that are promised us, things that um, that are talked about within the walls of the church but seem to desert us when we're facing all these things that so challenge us with life. I 
pray, O oh God, that you would adjust our perspective in line with what we see in this, this great apostle. That we might find ourselves saying, we know that when this tent is destroyed, there is something far better. Something not made with hands. Something awaiting your people. All because we have discovered that Jesus Christ left behind a tomb and lives forevermore. And when this tent is gone, we will have life with him. Would you... Would you plant that deeply in our souls, Father? Do that for Jesus' sake. In whose name we pray.